0: Hear that? That's the sound of your car's NCT getting closer. But this year, why not rely on an Avantcard loan rather than luck? If it's time to upgrade your car to something newer, it's time you contacted Avantcard.
1: AventCard offers loans from 5000 to €75,000, approval in principle in minutes, and personalised pricing made for you.
2: Find out more at AventCard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Avantcard DAC Trading's Avantcard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined today by Matt Williamson. Matt, we're glad to be back. How's it going? Yeah, long time no chat, man. How you doing? Doing well. We took a surprise week off, but we are back and ready to talk some Dynasty. We've got a great guest with us today. We've got Dr. Gene Brammel from Football Guys. He's a uh, He's a pediatrician in his, in his day job, and he, he's also uh, the medical expert over at Football Guys. He does a lot with the Audible podcast. Uh, Gene, I believe that's every, every Thursday you guys are putting in work on that.
0: Yep, we're getting close to opening it up for two hours again as we get closer to the season, but it's been every Thursday for a long time. Take a couple of weeks off right around Super Bowl time, but not too
1: much other than that. Always good stuff on the Audible with, with Sigmund and the
2: guys, and uh, always enjoy that. You're our third Audible alum to uh, be on the show now. We had Waldman on, but Bloom was our first guest. We're going to get Cease on now. I'm
0: generally the third or fourth wheel, so I appreciate <laughs> you guys having me on. I fit into that too <laughs> pretty easily without any trouble at all.
1: <laughs> well, we're we're going to be right in your wheelhouse today, uh, Dr. Gene, and we're going to be talking about uh, some injured players uh, across the league, and there's, there's so many of them. Kind of some behind-the-scenes stuff for our listeners. Gene sent us a list of some of the – Offensive skill guys he's been following as far as their injury and their recovery, and it was a, a mile-long list, so that's a little scary as a dynasty owner, seeing some of those names on there that, that are on a bunch of my rosters, but uh, we'll, we'll get your, your opinion on, on some of these players.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, that a lot of those guys on that list are, are folks that we were hoping and expecting and actually seeing now that OTAs have officially opened up this week. I think 31 of 32 teams have had their OTAs to see that these guys are coming back, and many of them are already participating fully in workouts. Um, you know, guys that we've been concerned about, Andrew Luck, a number of others, already out there fully participating, and hopefully we'll see that continue as we get into training camp that none of these guys are going to be long-term issues if we're lucky.
2: Gene, quick question before we get into each guy. How much do you trust the information this time of year as opposed to in-season or with draftable guys, you know, guys like Jack and those guys? I mean, when is when is the information the clearest? And is now one of those times, or is it very foggy? Never. Never, I, I think would think. you
0: know that. the answer to that, right? I mean, I think... I don't believe
2: anything I ever read.
0: Exactly. So it's nice in-season where... Hopefully, and with the advent of all of these cameras and the All-22, usually you can get a look and see what the injury mechanism is or there will be a view of the sideline exam or there will be something. And it seems like year after year after year we're hearing better and better and more detailed information from the national media members, be it Adam Shepter, Ian Rappaport, or Tom Pelissero, or... Confort or lots of other guys, Jay Glazer, but this time of year, nobody's going to be telling the truth. They're under no obligation to even put an injury report together. So what you're hearing is you're trying to parse out, okay, is what they're telling you make any sense at all? And so often, we'll talk about this with Tyler Eifert, you're going to hear things like minimal surgery and then you hear three months and then you hear what we heard this today with it being an open procedure and you know none of those things make any sense. And I think over time, you guys know this, that uh, you know, from John Fox to Bill Belichick to Marvin Lewis to everybody else, there's there's zero incentive for them to give us any actionable information. So we're just trying to figure out whether or not what we're told makes sense or not and then sort of go from there. So, yeah, I, I don't trust anything ever unless I feel like it's so detailed from such a good source and it matches what we think we saw on the field already that you can go with it. But otherwise, we're we're going to debate whether or not what you hear from the teams make much sense or not.
1: Well, Gene, before we get into some of these specific players, I, I, I kind of want to turn this to a, a dynasty focus. And when we hear injury news, you know, just recently, even over the past couple weeks, we've heard Tyler Eifert, as you mentioned, and uh, Sammy Watkins in, in the news with a surgery. I, I guess my default reaction to that is, is always to try to buy low on those players, Uh, And and obviously this is different depending on the injury and and the recovery time and surgery and things like that. But in general, are are you a guy who likes to buy low on on these injured players? Do you find that is, is a profitable move in Dynasty Leagues?
0: I think it can be. Anytime you can get a player to discount what you think is the discount, whether it's injury related or regression related or whatever it may be, You know, the, it's easy to say, harder to do, but you're trying to buy low and sell high. Um, some of these players, you may be trying to sell high rather than buying low. Uh, and as you hinted at there, it's, really, it's very much a case by case basis. So you try to tease out this is the injury, this is the expected recovery time, this is the player's injury history, and try to decide whether or not the timetable that you're hearing makes sense and whether or not that you trust that the player, you know, maybe if he's, you know, if, you, if, he's, if he doesn't quite have the same, if he didn't return to full form, whether or not he's an elite player like an Adrian Peterson or a Jamal Charles or, or one of those guys where, you know, if he loses a little bit, whether or not he's still going to be a good enough player to succeed on Sundays. And if that's not the case, then you're probably going to leave him alone. Um, or, you know, we'll talk about injury-prone stuff, I'm sure, here in a little bit. And, uh, you know, whenever I talk about this on our shows, I'm very much pushing – you know, your own personal roster philosophy. So when it comes to whether or not you want to buy low or not, uh, it comes to, you have to decide, for me, decide what the ceiling of the player is, decide what the floor is, and decide whether or not you're going to assume the risk of whatever there may be in between, um, and and recognize that even if you think you're acting on the best information you have, it's incomplete, and you may be making a mistake a little bit. So I think in general, because of how good the surgical techniques have been, how good the rehab techniques have been, how good players are nowadays with their, uh, you know, with their conditioning and uh, you know, before they should have any injuries, most of these players are going to come back to full form. It's rare that we have a situation where we say a player in his prime has such a severe injury where he's just not going to be able to come back. And we saw that with Marcus Lattimore. Um, To a lesser extent, we've seen that with guys like Steve Smith of the Giants where they, you know, they have a procedure that others have recovered from, but they just never make it back. So those situations are out there, but we're much more, I feel like, commonly talking about Boy, Adrian Peterson just got back in seven months from an ACL. Or we're going to see Jamal Charles hopefully do the same thing for the second time. Um, lots of these guys. I mean, Ch- Travis Kelsey with microfracture surgery a couple of years ago. So um, I-, I like to err on the side of buying these players low unless there's a very specific reason that I'm nervous to do it. or And again... I- I'm willing to accept a little bit of risk, injury or otherwise, so my roster philosophy tends to be a little bit more risk-tolerant anyway. If yours is not, then you definitely bump these guys on, and there's really not much reason to, to uh, pursue them as a buy-low candidate unless you think you can really flip them um, once they you know, have a couple of decent weeks and you decide that, you know, if I, I don't want Arian Foster on my team, but if I can get him low and a couple of weeks later he blows up and I can sell him for something I really like, then maybe you take that risk, but I think it all comes down to your risk philosophy.
2: Gene, real quick, I, I want to go off script just for one second. You know, you talked about Latimer and you know some of these guys that you know are career-ending, that that never are the same. And there's two names that aren't on the list that we're scheduled to talk about. Well, actually, there's one of them is on here. I didn't see him before. But Jimmy Graham and especially Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz scares the life out of me. I want nothing to do with Victor Cruz. Yeah. I mean, especially as a, I mean, a slot guy that's based on lateral agility and explosion, I don't trust him at all.
0: Yeah, and I don't. I don't think we should. We've seen Morris Claiborne. We've seen Nate Allen. We've seen a couple of other defensive players recover from a patellar tendon tear, but we've really never seen an explosive skill position player come back to anything close to what they were before. Now, these two players are arguably more talented than any skill position player we've seen have this injury, at least in the last five to eight years. So. I, I kind of joked last week, the only nice thing about this is we've got two players now that we're going to get two data points and know the sample size isn't great. But if both of these guys come back to play in any sort of productive fashion, maybe that changes what we think about patellar tendon tears going forward. Cruz's issue is not only that, but he's had, although they tried to minimize that calf injury, is maybe not a big thing. He's had two major season-ending soft tissue injuries to his lower body at this point, and he's still not been cleared to fully work out in OTAs. Now, my thought was, you know, he took a pay cut. The team really ought to, they drafted Sterling Shepard. You would expect that the team would want to see what they had in Victor Cruz fairly early on. So I was hoping that we'd see him in OTAs, we'd see him in minicamp, and that the Giants would want to see what they had with him this year to get him back into the mix a little bit, and that's not been the case. Now they're saying that we're targeting training camp, but we're, Months and months and months and months after that calf injury that was an aggravation. So that plus not knowing how he's going to recover from the patellar tendon tear is an issue. Graham, the same thing. Um, I don't know that I think it's best to expect him to start camp on pup and just go from there. Um, But I don't know that that necessarily means that if he starts the regular season on pup, who says he's ready for week six, week eight, week nine? I don't know that that's a foregone conclusion, but these two cases are going to be very interesting to track because they're going to give us some good data points about what to expect here in the future.
2: But comparing the two seems apples and oranges to me. I mean, I, not that you were comparing the two, but if Cruz loses quickness, he has nothing else. Where you see some of these tight ends, Witten, Gates, Gonzalez, Heath Miller, that can kind of fade into the sunset once they learn how to use their body, and Graham's a former basketball player that's six seven he could probably still catch touchdowns.
0: I think so, but he's still going to need to have some explosiveness, some lateral agility. I think the Tony Gonzalez's of the world are a really rare breed, somebody that really doesn't have the physical skills to get it done anymore but is smart enough in route running and boxing out and all the things you alluded to there to be successful. The deal with these patella tendon injuries is it's a huge tendon. The recovery process basically results in the quad shutting down altogether. So there's extreme quad muscle atrophy and there's some blood flow restriction stuff that's going on now that may be able to limit some of those things, but it just takes a long time to come back and you have to have the tendon tied together the right way so that there's still some good elasticity in that area. That quad muscle has to come completely back. It wouldn't shock me if we lined these guys up in the locker room and you looked at at their legs side by side and one leg looked totally different than the other. So yes, I, I agree that Victor Cruz, because of the position he plays, because he needs a lot of short area quickness, lateral agility and because he's got the calf injury is a much bigger concern than jimmy graham um i i'm with you i i I, Mm -hmm. last year i didn't have any interest in in victor cruz at all this year he has got to show that he can get through a couple of consecutive practices and do so successfully before you'd consider him at all jimmy graham's issue is going to be when is he ready and how you trust him so for dynasty purposes i think you know you'd, you'd have a much higher grade on on Graham than you would Cruz for that reason because you, you know even if he doesn't yeah. come back for the first six to eight weeks you're not that worried about him and that goes back to how Seattle used him last year I mean they really weren't doing all that much with him last year so uh, you know it, what makes you think that he is going to increase his target count by 33 percent fifty percent this year when they weren't using him much last year and he's had a whole offseason of not being involved at all so uh, you know they're not sure if they can count on him from a game plan perspective I know the trend was looking a little bit better just before he got injured last year, but that would be my other concern with him is there's really no guarantee that all of a sudden he's going to go back to being a 100, 120 target player because Seattle didn't show any interest in using him that way that last year anyway.
1: Gene, you mentioned that that term injury prone, and that's something that, that gets thrown around a lot, I think, by those of us who are not doctors and don't have this medical experience. And I've, I've seen some people say that there's really no such thing as injury prone, that you know, multiple injuries are, are just a random occurrence. So what's your opinion on that as as a doctor?
0: I think if you you asked orthopedic docs, if you asked anybody involved with the league, athletic trainers, physical therapists, whether or not there are players that are injury-prone, you're going to get the answer yes. And if you tried to pin them down, they would probably be able to identify those players based on the functional movement screening that they're doing. Um, They know whether or not, the muscle groups are symmetric in their players, they know whether or not there's any functional deficiencies, any asymmetry, any mobility questions. We are never going to hear of those things. So The examples I always like to give are guys like Adrian Peterson, who had clavicle injuries, ACL, sports hernia, multiple ankle stuff. Um, would you consider him injury prone? Would you drop him down your list? No, and he's a freak of nature, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't had He's, that he's had fewer injuries than somebody else. DeMarco Murray and Darren McFadden three or four years ago were marked as injury-prone players. Darren McFadden hasn't had a, a healthy season since DeMarco Murray had a 2,000-yard total season the following year. So my thing is I think there's two ways to look at injury-prone. Has a player been injury-prone Will a player be injury prone? And I think those things have to be considered separately just because we don't have enough information to suggest that that's the case. Now, would you consider Arian Foster injury prone at this point? I I think, yeah, probably. I mean, you almost have to based on the number of injuries he's had, where they've been, and and all of the aggravations and compensatory things he's had. But um, if you go all the way down the list, are we going to consider Le'Veon Bell injury prone now? because he's had arguably two significant knee injuries. He's had a midfoot sprain. He's really never made it through any of his professional time without um, having something crop up. So I I think it's just really difficult to prospectively say this player is uh, that much higher relative risk of injury than somebody else because we just don't know when that's going to happen. You know, is it week one? Is it week eight? Is it two years from now? Uh, that's what was trying to, with the medical staffs during the draft, were trying to decide with Miles Jack. You know, he looks fine now, but how soon is it going to be an injury or how soon is it going to be an issue in the longer term, if it is at all? Um, and those are things that are just difficult to know. We could talk about a list of eight or ten things that might put somebody in a higher risk category from genetics to past history of injuries and, and those sorts of things, but it's just really hard to know. So I can give you... What the studies will tell you about, uh, you know, X player with an ACL injury, we know that uh, there's a, you know, a, a 7 to 10 percent chance of uh, re-tearing in the same knee and there's a 10 to 14 percent chance of re-tearing in the opposite knee, but can I tell you which one of you know the, the 50 to 75 players that have had ACLs in next number of weeks, which one of those players is going to be in that 8 to 10 percent? Not really. Um, and the medical staffs inside the locker room may have some idea of players that they're worried about because they'll be working with them in the training rooms, but that's that's information that's just really difficult for us to know.
2: I don't like the term injury prone. I don't think you do either. And, and Too often in this business, we're asked to predict the future, but if you were to compare someone like Ryan Matthews and Arian Foster, you would say Foster's more injury prone, right? I mean, because Matthews had breaks and maybe he had bad luck, or maybe he has weak bones. I don't know. But foster just seems like lower body soft soft tissue tears or strains forever. Yeah,
0: Yeah, so I think think age plays a role. It's harder to recover from an injury the older you get just because, you know, joints have wear and tear and uh, you're more likely to have a little bit extra scarring and it takes a little bit longer to recover. Um, But, yeah, I think you have to look at all of those things. What were the circumstances of the injury? Was DeMarco Murray really injury prone because somebody fell on his leg in a certain way to have it break? Every running back in the league probably would have had an injury in that regard unless they were Gumby. Like um, Le'Veon
2: Bell. I mean, some sure. of the hit teams, I mean, it was like a train wreck with Burford.
0: right. We talked about that last week. I mean, any so are there players in the league that are maybe so in-tuned with their body and get themselves out of situations like that in a split second with that through no – you know, direct intent of their own, that may make it more like less likely for them to be in that position. Sure, but I, you know, yes, the injuries that Le'Veon Bell has, has had, you, know, you, you can't be all that concerned about it. And you can then you can say, well, does it come back to a volume issue? He's getting all of those touches. You know, the more touches you have, the more likely are you to be, more likely you are to be injured. And yes, that's absolutely the case. But you know, if you look at Many studies have been done that say the, the players that get injured the least are oftentimes the players that have been out there the most because there's something about them, be it genetics sure. or otherwise, that keeps them healthy. Um, I, the way I like to, I think 100% of the players in the league are injury prone, right, Matt? I mean, they're, you're out there playing a traumatic collision sport every single time you're out there during a live-action play, you're if at risk of injury. You play a
2: lot of snaps, and you have the ball in your hands a lot because you're good.
0: To try to put a relative risk on that, to try to say, I think this player is more likely than not, you're absolutely looking at the type of injuries, how long it's taken a player to recover from an injury, how many times has that same body part been injured, do I have any confidence that Arian Foster can get through weeks at this point without some sort of soft tissue injury, it's been groin, it's been hamstring, it's been quad, it's been calf, it's been Achilles at this point. I mean, it's been one thing after another. So no, and it also doesn't help that he's 31 years old. Um, Ryan Matthews, you know, you'd have to go back and look a little bit more closely. Uh, The Collarbone, I think any broken bones are, you know, you just have to consider it be a little bit of a freak injury unless, you know, you can look at those things and I know I'm getting a little bit long-winded here, but, you know, look at the player and say, did they fall correctly? So if they don't know how to fall and brace their fall, then maybe that broken bone was a reason to consider them a little bit injury prone. But you know players are going to fall and get themselves and you, know, you know they've got three hundred fifty pound guys falling on So it's really hard to chalk up some of these injuries to being anything more than just bad luck.
2: Although Michael Vick, Robert Griffin, yeah. they're little and they don't protect themselves. To me, they're massive injury risks. They're a different category.
0: Yeah, so I, you know we could probably we could probably take this entire hour or so and go cat and go bit by bit by bit by bit and say this is something that would worry me about a player this is something that would worry me about a player this is something that would worry me about a player but that doesn't mean and I can't tell you specifically when that issue might crop up but yes you're right to think that the relative risk on those players are higher absolutely
1: but it seems to me that there's some type of difference between an injury risk due to genetics or, or something you know inside your body versus your playing style. So I don't know if it's fair to say Vic and Griffin would be injury prone other than maybe they're just making bad choices on the field. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, I agree. And it may not be their playing style as much as, you know, are the coaching staffs putting them in a position where they're a little bit more likely to be injured because they know they have a poor offensive line and they're not going to max protect. I mean, really and truly, we could, you know, we, not to belabor this point, but we could talk about lots of different things. And, you know, we, it's you hear about it called, you know, tissue issue or bad protoplasm, or you know, I, I don't know that there's any specific medical tests that are out there that would say this particular player has this type of connective tissue and it puts them at higher risk because it's a little bit stiffer or whatever reason it may be. But um, you know, I was just at an NFL medical conference, specifically um, orthopedics, where there were lots of. Um, NFL medical staff doctors—they are talking about some of these things, um, and a lot of trainers were talking about, and physical therapists of the teams were talking about functional movement studies that they do to get a sense of whether or not there are some deficiencies in there. Chip Kelly got a lot of run for it a couple of years ago, but the use of GPS and some of these radio frequency tags to decide whether or not players are moving as well, or uh, you know, are moving as quickly in a short area with all the GPS stuff that's out there too. They, you know, they can monitor heart rate, they can monitor fatigue levels, all of this stuff is there. None of it are we privy to um, just based on what you're going to hear Monday press conferences and Wednesday press conferences looking at the injury report.
1: All right, well, let's get into some specific players. Uh, we, we've mentioned a few names already, but uh, as I said earlier, there, there are these injuries and, and this news popping up on, on several key players. So let's start with Tyler Eifert the Bengals tight end, recently had ankle surgery, and, and as you said, Gene, some have called that a, a minor procedure, and some have mentioned a, an open... I'm sorry, what's, what's the exact medical term?
0: There's really no such thing as minor surgery. That's something I think is important to keep in mind. One of the reasons that Tyler Eifert hasn't had surgery until now is because they've been trying to avoid it for good reason. So when the, when the Bengals say minimal surgery... To me, that makes me think of an arthroscopic procedure, nothing that's going to be a, a long recovery period. And then we hear three months, and you automatically think, well, there are some arthroscopic procedures that can take a long time. They'll do microfracture on the ankle arthroscopically now. Um, but what we learned today was that they're planning on strengthening a ligament that's been loose in there, and that he's got some ankle instability. And generally, that's done through an open incision. And when you open up the skin like that, you're moving through muscles, you're moving through other tissue, and that takes some time to heal. Um, and I don't know that that there's a reasonable comp for a player to return in that, you know, kind of 12 week range. Um, you know, this is something in every surgery is a little bit different. There's a number of ligaments there and depending on what ligament it is and how many ligaments and just what the cleanup needs to be. Um, Cam Newton went through something similar a couple of years ago and uh, said it took him a long time to come back. He had the surgery in March, didn't really feel right in the beginning of the regular season and was told, well, I really wasn't sure what to expect. And the trainer said, well, I don't know. We told you it was going to be a four to six month injury. And I don't know that that's directly comparable to Tyler Eifert, but I think when you hear open, open procedure, Revision of ligament, that is not a quick situation where three months is uh, a midline expectation. I think it's possible, but I think as so many other times, we're looking at an optimistic time frame there. I think it could easily be four months, and when you hear, you know, even the tone in Adam Schefter's tweet where he says, well, they expect him to be back, but the worst case scenario would be he misses a few games. A few games is four to six weeks additional after training camp. So, you know, I mean that tells you that you're looking at a 3 to 6 month time frame recovery based on how those last few weeks of rehab go. He may be out of a walking boot, he may be able to weight bear, he may be able to do lots of different things, but he's got to be able to get there and out there and change direction without limitation before that happens and you hope that that happens at that 12 week mark but it could easily be 16 to 20 and it wouldn't be shocking to see him he's definitely going to start camp on the pup list I would think at this point I think that's a foregone conclusion and whether or not we see him week three or four of the preseason or week three or four of the regular season I don't know that we're going to know especially with the Bengals and the way they release information until we get much closer into August.
2: See, I think the dynasty aftermath here is if it's not too late go add Tyler Croft not only is he a talented guy but they have a big hole right now at their second receiver spot. You know, there's a lot of unknowns there. He probably was targeted for a little bit more, you know, action anyways. Somebody's got to ha- catch passes.
0: Yes, and I agree with that. And and I have to you – know, I'm used to talking to redraft audiences for the most part. I don't always bring it back to a dynasty angle. But long-term with Eifert, if mm-hmm. this is truly a simple ankle-tightening procedure, in the long-term he's going to be fine. They're – if there's no other signs of any degenerative conditions or anything else and Mm -hmm. I I think those things are possible we never really got you know we're talking about a player that was injured in the Pro Bowl we told had a foot injury we told had a jammed heel we said you know heard that it wasn't that big of an issue then he was in a boot for a little bit longer so you never really know but I think in the long term Eifert should be okay in the short term no question I think Tyler Crawford is the guy that's gonna benefit from targets Mm
2: And I'm not playing doctor here, but if we had this podcast 365 days ago, we would be calling Eifert Injury prone
0: And you may still, yeah, I think. Right. You know, I live out this way. I'm about an hour north of Cincinnati right now. And Sorry to hear that. All, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> um. All of the talk on the local sports radio as I pick my kids up from school and come home is, is Tyler Eifert injury prone? What does this mean for him over the long term? Just sign, just, you know, you added him for his fifth year option. What's this going to mean for extension? Are the Bengals going to want to watch and see how he goes? I'm sure they're going to try to sign him to an extension, but there's absolutely that question there. Uh, You know, he's, so again, he had an elbow dislocation the way that he fell, was it because he wasn't protecting himself well or was it just a fluke that anybody that had fallen that way, we saw it happen to Danny Amendola. We've seen those injuries happen to everybody else. Is there something specific about Tyler Eifert and his ligaments that make him more likely to have some looseness and laxity there? Are these two injuries a sign of that? I don't, th- I don't know if we know until we know. I think somebody, you know, there are going to be folks out there that say, I don't really want any part of Tyler Eifert because he's had two injuries that would suggest that his joints are not going to remain stable over time. And other folks are going to say, well, these things happen. Um, he's going to, re- he recovered really well from it last year. He was a stud. Why can't he recover from this injury? So there it goes back to that we were talking about in the beginning. Sure. How do you handle that by low relative risk situation?
1: I asked this on Twitter today and, and Got strong responses on on each side, so I'm interested to hear what you guys think. So, knowing what we know now about Eifert uh, and knowing the history of Jordan Reed, both guys had breakout seasons last year in Dynasty. Who do you prefer? Yeah, I mean, did you, wow.
0: Jordan Reed. I mean, you're going to talk about injury prone about Jordan Reed, Right. I right. mean, concussion after concussion after concussion. He's got a knee that. I said issue after issue. Does he have a degenerative condition in his knee? Probably so. When is that going to crop up? Who knows. Next concussion, how long is he going to be out? Who knows. Um, That's a a tough situation, I think.
2: But the Redskins just gave him big money and they know him better than we do.
0: I agree. I think I would prefer Eifert, but man, is it close. And I don't, I don't and that's that's irrespective of injuries too I just I just looking kind of at talent there I mean you're betting on players that have that, that have shown that there's a durability question with each of them they're both about the same age if I'm remembering correctly maybe Reed's a year older um, but I know he came into the league a little bit younger than Eifert, if I'm remembering correctly so that's a tough decision you, did you was there a consensus Ryan on Twitter that, today
1: No it really was it really was split uh, but like I said there were some who strongly you know strongly supported Reed. And, and vice versa for, for Eifert. So I do, think, I, I do think that's a close call. I, I would prefer Eifert as well.
0: I have both. I'm heavily on both. I liked Eifert a lot. I have held on to Reed despite lots of these injury issues because I like the talent. Again, that just goes back to my personal risk philosophy, but that may be why it's hard for me to decide because I, I'm invested in both of them for the long
2: term myself. Ryan, if it's week six, you have both on your roster, you can only start one tight end, and they're both healthy, who do you start? Reed. Then I think that's your answer. Yeah,
1: that's probably true. All right, let's move on. Sammy Watkins is another guy who has been in the news lately, had foot surgery last month, and kind of like Eifert, we've seen some varying timetables on on his potential return. Doc, what do you know about him?
0: So I think we have enough specifics on Sammy Watkins to expect that he has one of what has become pretty common with wide receivers, one of these fifth metatarsal fractures. Um, It sounds like he had a little bit of a stress reaction in the beginning. I don't think we can consider this a revision procedure because he really only had one surgery. Um, So what the, the surgeon that did his procedure will usually tell players is that you can expect Best case to get back in six to eight weeks. Now we've seen guys like Des Bryant and to a lesser extent Julian Edelman recently try to rush that timetable and get back a little bit sooner. That's not going to happen with Sammy Watkins. They're going to give him every bit of the close to ten to twelve weeks that a lot of players will need to come back from this. Good comp is Julio Jones. There was some concern about him, a revision surgery a couple of years ago. He didn't have any trouble, came back and had a big year. It's a source of concern. Um, lots of these players, as I said, have had revision surgeries from Devontae Parker to Julio Jones to Des Bryant and now Julio- and Julian Edelman. Both of those guys have had multiple surgeries at this point. Um, but in the series that uh, that Dr. Anderson has done about this, all of these players have done well. Um, you know, even going back to Ahmad Bradshaw and a few other guys that have had multiple, Emmanuel Sanders, um, these guys tend to do pretty well at this point. So I wouldn't be too concerned about him. I was worried about Des Bryant and Edelman last year because you you knew you had the sense that they were going to push the limits of the recovery timetable. I don't see that happening with Sammy Watkins. So um, I think he ought to be ready to go come training camp.
1: That's that's good to hear. Uh, obviously, he's a, he's a major riser in uh, dynasty drafts. He's uh, easily a first round pick now so it's it's good to hear we can hopefully expect him to be back um, another guy with uh ankle surgery recently or uh, reportedly actually in January but we're just hearing about this news is Ladarius Green so he had the surgery in January reportedly the Steelers still felt comfortable giving him a pretty big contract is, is that a good sign for Green
0: yeah, probably. Or we sh- I don't know. I'm not even certain if 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 I'm convinced that it was January. The only thing I could really see is we look kind of look back on this and I didn't really look at what the San Diego guys had to say, but it really seemed like when it was reported on in March, right around the time when the signing was made, it was just called recent. And whether that was January or March is hard to know, but I think this this could be a very similar situation to what's going on with Tyler Eifert, and you're looking at a player that it, even if the surgery was had in Jan- if it was had in January, then you're looking at 6 months and he's not been yet cleared to go probably because they're not planning on doing anything with him until camp. And if you're looking at March, then again, you're looking at a four-month recovery. Um, I felt like his mechanism back in week 9 or week 10, whenever it was last year, looked high ankle to me. You really don't do cleanup procedures for high ankle injuries. That's not a situation that you can really play through. If you've got instability there, it's something that needs to be fixed pretty much right away. So it's probably going to be something pretty similar to what Eifert is going through. Um, and, yes, players recover from this. It takes some time, but it's, it's general. The reason you do it is to get them that stability back and they should be better players after the surgery than they were before um, assuming that the recovery goes smoothly enough so um, you know I haven't seen he was there was no walking boot I didn't see any brace I didn't see anything at all in the pictures of him recently I would expect barring something unexpected he's going to have to recondition as he goes through training camp but I, I would expect him to be ready for week one too.
1: We had some some other news about uh, Chargers running back Melvin Gordon. Again, reportedly this surgery was a a couple months ago. He had a meniscus tear, I believe, and then that dreaded word microfracture, which has kind of become a dirty word in fantasy circles. But the reports on Gordon are good. He's working out, uh, doing some individual workouts, should be back for camp. So is is that kind of a shift in – a medical advancement as far as microfracture should we not be worried about that
0: that's a really good question so i feel like i feel like microfracture maybe because it was in the news so much with miles jack recently has kind of become the new boogie man, we used to hear dreaded Liz Frank all the time and I don't know that anybody gets too bugged about that anymore. Uh, I don't know that that's ever going to be the case with microfracture simply because you're talking about cartilage and you can make an effort to try to convince the body to regrow some type of cartilage, but it doesn't happen on its own. Um, what matters with microfracture is how big the area of cartilage that you're trying to get to regrow and exactly where in the knee. You're trying to get the cartilage to regrow, um, and the general manager of the Chargers suggested last week, when it was well, a couple of weeks ago, when it was reported that it was a small area in not a in an area that generally has a better chance of healing than others. Um, the NFL surgeons will quote you 70 to 80 percent success rate which sounds great until you consider that one out of five players don't recover. Travis Kelsey, as we talked about earlier, is a pretty good comp for a player that has come back and hasn't seemed to have any limitations at all. You talk about Steve Smith of the Giants, we never saw him again. So it's not 100% certainty. It's generally kind of a seven to eight to nine month recovery period because you cannot move your knee in the beginning because you don't want to disrupt any of that fragile cartilage that may be growing so it takes a long time and it takes a long time to recondition so it's really good that we're seeing Gordon in individual drills five months after his surgery in January Um, but yes he's got some meniscus issues he's got a degenerative condition in his knee Um, that cartilage that grows back is going to be scarred cartilage it's not going to be the same cartilage that was there before so um, for for dynasty purposes i think it's very reasonable to expect him to have a shortened career does that mean that he can't run off two or three very good years in the meantime? No, um, but I don't know that you're looking at a player that's going to be a 10 to 12 year player or maybe even a 6 to 8 year player necessarily. But I think what we're, what we've heard over the past couple of days in seeing how the Chargers OTAs have begun, um, I think things look promising for him, um, but he's not yet been cleared to cut. He's not yet been cleared for contact and that still needs to happen. Um, and we're probably not likely to see that happen until we get somewhere into camp, so don't get frustrated if we got a lot of positive information here at the end of May, but become the end of July if he doesn't seem to have progressed much as long as we're hearing that he's still moving and he's still been allowed to run and, and do a lot of conditioning uh, it's still going to take some time. I think that uh, the the hope for him is that he's fully conditioned and ready for week one uh, and that he
2: stays healthy for a while but dynasty Gordon. I didn't like him coming out of school. I own him nowhere. I won't own him anywhere. But let's say both of you have him on your roster. What draft pick would you sell him for right now, or other way around? What draft pick would you give for him? I don't own him anywhere either. wasn't a hu- like like you. I wasn't a huge fan
1: and and wasn't willing to pay an early first round rookie pick for a running back not named Gurley last season. So, I mean, late first seems like kind of the chalk answer there as far as – probably as far as giving and um, receiving. Um, I don't know. Doc, how much of that – how much of this injury, the meniscus and, and a degenerative knee issue, how much of that affected his play? Because he was, he was clear, clearly a bust in his rookie year. Yep. Is, is that because of the knee? So there, back?
0: there's your million dollar question with yeah. Gordon is um, how much of last year because he, he certainly wasn't impressive last year. I mean, I, you wouldn't be wanting. I don't know why you'd want to give why you want to pay a price for Melvin Gordon at this point. Nobody is going to discount him enough. If you had Gordon, are you going to sell him for a second or third round pick at this point, or are you going to wait and see what you got with him this year? I don't know that you sell him at that discount right now because presumably, unless you got him super cheaply in your draft last year or super cheaply some other way. You invested in him because you liked him, um, and you're hoping that that situation turns out better for him this year. So why would you sell him at a huge discount? Um, by the same token, um, you really have to have had believe in him to pay the price to, to, you know, to, to get him at this point. So I, I agree with you. Somewhere in that late first, early second at worst is probably going to be his price, but I don't know that you could get him for that necessarily. Um, I, I just don't think we know. Um, microfracture is a big deal. Um, I, I, there were knee problems there. I think even before we heard about the meniscus tear, he, he wasn't looking good before that happened last year. We kept waiting and we kept waiting and we kept waiting. I can, you know, he was kind of a DFS sleeper darling. For the first six weeks of the season, this is going to be his breakout. This is going to be his breakout. It never happened. Never got the volume, and then he had the knee injury. So, I, I, I'm with Matt here. I think uh, I would be. I'd not be looking to buy him at this point at all. And if for some reason he turns out to be another one of these great success stories and he takes over and does great, well, then I'll live with myself. But it, it, this situation, knowing what we, that he really wasn't an impressive player I thought last year with this type in knee injury that we know is going to lessen the length of his career based on all of the studies that we've seen we know that players that have had any sort of meniscus injury and certainly microfracture, are not likely to have longer careers I'm not in a big hurry to pay for him.
1: Alright let's move on to to our next guy. I'm, I'm learning some, some terms from you Gene. So is <laughs> is, what, is what we've seen with Julian Edelman this offseason is that a revision procedure? Yes. Okay. And, and, yeah, what so oftentimes what ahead. happens
0: is, you know, they nice try, work try there, to work there, Brian. Yeah. Uh, so. I think revision is probably a fair thing to say here. He had one surgery for whatever reason it was deemed necessary for him to have a second procedure and in this type of injury you know that you're not going back to, to to inject some stem cells or do something else. You're going back in there to take the screw out and replace it with a larger screw. That's generally what happens um, and, and I think that's likely to be the case here. Is it because he had a screw failure? Is it because his bone didn't fully heal? Is it because Um, the screw was in a spot where it was causing him pain when he moves. I don't know. But, yes, I think it's fair to say that that, uh, because it was a second procedure for
2: the same injury. Before we get away from him, though, to me, that's like deadliest catch. It's like the most dangerous job on the planet is being a slot receiver for the Patriots. You know, Amendola, Edelman, Welker – I mean, you don't get bumped out of bounds by 180-pound corners. You get blasted by defensive linemen and linebackers 100 catches a, a year, and it's highly productive, but you're little, and it just seems like you're living on the edge every time you take the field. Yeah,
0: and this injury is generally not a contact injury. It didn't happen with contact. He planted his foot, and again, usually you've got some sort of stress reaction going on in that area. And but the next with, one will be. Well, And true. then Belichick so, will
2: find someone just like you.
0: That's right. So um, I'm, I, Edelman has had at least one concussion, um, and you're right. I mean, we've seen it with Wes Walker. We've seen it with a lot of these guys. He is going to take some hits. So there you go. It goes back to your injury-prone discussion. Do you like his relative risk there or not? Um, I wouldn't worry so much about the particular injury we're talking about here, but age, um, the history of concussions, the type of system he's in, and the number of hits he's going to take because you know, uh, you know, unless – You know Malcolm Mitchell just completely surprises that a healthy Julian Edelman is going to get what 160 targets maybe (laughs) because he was averaging 10 or 12 a week. So, yeah, yards downfield. Yeah, where he's going. That's exactly you know running those arrow routes. He's going to run into a bracket one way or the other, um, and there's you know the the risk is there for sure.
1: Well, any any injury that involves a screw failure sounds pretty bad to me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But let's let's move on. Let's move on to Dante Moncrief. It uh, came out uh, about a month ago, I guess that he had a turf toe injury and and this is another one of those uh injury terms we hear thrown around a lot obviously it involves the foot the toe. I don't really know what a turf toe is so so give me the simple explanation of exactly what that injury is and and if it if there's any long term concern with for Moncrief
0: so the simple explanation is there are ligaments that hold every joint together the big toe is interesting in that there's a ligament that goes all the way around the toe joint itself as the toe comes back into the foot and on the bottom of that there is an extra ligament that runs underneath and sometimes the capsular ligament is the issue sometimes that ligament that helps you um, to flex and extend that toe either the top or the bottom one is involved that's kind of the plantar plate that you've heard about with other players Sean Lee and some others over the years Um, that's what goes there and if you're having chronic pain if there's some Concern about some arthritis around that area, they will go in and they will fix that ligament and tighten it up a little bit. And that's what happened with Moncrief here. Um, and you hope that either with injections or rest that that ligament heals on its own. Sometimes it does and it's loose, sometimes it just doesn't heal. Which one of those happened with Moncrief, it's hard to know. The repair of that is usually pretty successful. Guys usually get back within three to four months, so I don't think it's going to be an issue with Moncrief getting ready for this season. Um, but he will probably have to play with an orthotic an issue. It can take as long as 12 months for the range of motion to fully come back in that toe. So a lot of times that toe um, in the area of that foot needs to be protected with an orthotic. Dante Moncrief played with this injury relatively well last year. Uh, he's going to have enough time to recover from the surgery. I think there's some reason to be worried about him. What I've said is we I think hopefully we'll get a little bit of an idea of how he looks during the preseason so we can see for this year whether or not he's moving, getting explosively getting out of his stance, whether or not he can explosively get in and out of his pass route breaks, whether or not he can move laterally well as well. Um, I, I think in the long term, I'm not too concerned about Moncrief. He may get off to a little bit of a slower start than you might expect this year, though.
1: All right. Well, we've talked about a lot of uh, the, the veterans around the league dealing with some injuries. Let's look at some of the incoming rookies, and and Gene, not only are you a medical expert, obviously, but you're, uh, in the fantasy world, also an expert IDP player. So let's look at, some, at three incoming rookies uh, on the defensive side of the ball, and, and potentially the three most talented rookies are now all dealing with somewhat serious injuries. Of course, we have Jalen Smith, miles Jack, both of those guys fell to the second round uh, once viewed as potential top five picks, maybe even number one overall picks, uh, but both fell due to injuries and then uh, more recently Jalen Ramsey of the Jaguars is dealing with a knee injury as well. Um, so just any quick thoughts on on any of those three players.
0: Yeah, I like all of these guys. You know, the the Jaguar certainly seemed snake bit with Dante Fowler last year and Ramsey this year. I, I don't think I don't think Ramsey is going to be a short term concern. I don't know that there was really any choice in the second opinion about whether of, of how to approach the meniscus injury that he has, but um, to have the, the offending piece of meniscus taken out um, is a much quicker recovery time. So I think there's a good chance we'll see him for training camp. He ought to be ready for week one. Long term, that's probably going to become an issue for him. Um, the meniscus kind of covers up the cartilage, and you like to have that cartilage per Protected for all the reasons we talked about, and Dane Brugler and I think a couple of others reported that that uh, Ramsey had had some microfracture surgery when he was still in high school to that same knee, and that might have been part of the reason he was looking for other opinions. So I don't think there's going to be a big issue with Ramsey going forward, and hopefully he'll have a long and productive career. Jay, man, I'm I'm really rooting for Jalen Smith. Um, we just don't really know how this is going to go yet. We had, you know, you got you know, Peyton Manning has kind of been the poster boy for talking about nerve injuries and regeneration and recovery over the past five years, and that's really what Jalen Smith is dealing with. He had a pretty significant knee injury ligament-wise, but a lot of times, you know, with rare exception, we'll see some stuff that takes a little bit longer to recover than we expect, but knee ligament injuries are not the big concern that they were. We're a lot more worried about meniscus, cartilage, other things, and the key with Smith here is that he's got a nerve injury that hasn't healed yet, Um, and you know he's just not going to be able to run around on the field if he can't lift his toe up off the ground, which is what's happening right now with the type of nerve injury he has, and it's going to be probably close to a year. I don't buy that we're going to see him on the field this year. Maybe they put him on pup, and if he's making a really good recovery and the Cowboys are in the playoff race, maybe we see him activated in the second half of the year, but I think this is going to be a redshirt year for here for him and you hope that the nerve fully recovers and if it does he's good enough to come back from this um, sean spence recovered from a similar injury so there is precedent for this willis McGee, i don't think had a nerve injury but had a, a multi-ligament injury that that had some associated issues there too so definitely root for jalen smith but I, you know i think it's going to be a heck of recovery if he comes back to the form that he was at notre dame before the injury miles jack again talking about another meniscus slash um, articular cartilage thing with the knee that's going to be a problem at some point um, you know there was some talk I think it was from the Raiders that you know maybe somebody was going to talk him into trying to have microfracture surgery before he even started his career it's really not a preventative thing that you do um, hopefully the defect is small Hopefully he doesn't have a lot of pain and range of motion issues and swelling that limits him um, in the earlier years of his career. But everything I've heard suggests that he's pretty close to 100. The Jags are going to bring, or the Jaguars are going to bring him on a little bit slowly this year. But you know, hopefully he's another guy where you know maybe he doesn't have a 10 or 12 year career where he plays into his 30s. But there's no reason to expect that he can't play a good six to eight and be effective while he does.
2: Gene, I got two guys I want to bring up too before we let you go. And to preface this, pretty much since this show's inception, this podcast's inception, I've been saying, Rashad Perryman, before this draft ever happened, I'm trading 1-3 for him. I'm trading 1-4 for him. I'm all over this guy. But then, as Bloom says, the tea leaves aren't real promising. You know I mean? Teams don't lie. I mean, there's a reason you bring in Mike Wallace. They drafted another guy. Are you worried about him? And and then the other guy that I have to bring up is Tony Romo. I mean... To say people are not injury-prone is one thing, but this guy, I mean, he's a bad back, bad clavicle. What, he's 37 or something like that? I don't trust him to stay on the field at all.
0: I think that's reasonable. I don't like degenerative back conditions. Um, oh. He had a cyst that needed to be taken care of. He had a disc that needed to be taken care of. Those things, and he's recovered from those. Um, but there is still something going on there. So, you know, we know that players can only have so many cortisone shots. So, you know, if, if he starts, if he takes a rough hit earlier in the year and they're chasing it all year long, you know, maybe we see something similar to what happened a couple of years ago where they just decide, you know, we just there's nothing more that we can do this year. you got to sit and cool off. Um, hopefully the the collarbone procedure that he chose is, is something that limits his injury, but he's going to stay back there and take hits. He's proven that right. he's going to run around and he's going to throw the ball and he's going to get smashed into the ground no matter no matter how good Dallas's offensive line is against the run and in pass protection, he is going to hit the ground this year. So yeah, I think there's good reason to be concerned about it. Again, can you put a, a, a week one, week four, week eight, week 12 risk on it? Probably not, but there's good reason to be concerned about him for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, Prashad Perriman is a tough situation because, you know, do you do you believe that the Ravens were worried about this all along? Do you believe that uh, Jim Harbaugh was just, you know, just not giving us the full line about how things were going this year? Uh, we have seen players recover quickly from isolated PCL injuries in the past, but it's a, it's a tough injury to recover from. As I sat in this conference a couple of weeks ago, um, the line from... Uh, the takeaway point from the PCL lecture was: um, take heart in that of all the 32 docs across the league, there's no consensus on how to treat some of these injuries, PCL injuries, um, and that's because it's an it's an interesting ligament to try to deal with. There's a lot of structures around it, and just when you think you've got the ligament, uh, you know, either rehabbed or or surgically taken care of, to where. There's no looseness in the joint in that direction. Um, it may not be the case, and I think that's kind of what we saw with Perriman, is just when you felt like he was close to coming back, he'd have a little bit of a setback, or he didn't feel right after all. He's doing some sprinting. He's doing some running in OTAs. He's expected to be fully cleared. I don't know that they actually did that. and sound like he was quite there yesterday on uh, uh, at the end of May here, and hopefully by the end of this weekend, this first OTAs, that, that he'll be cleared to do that. Uh, and he's got the talent you know, to come back and, and be effective, but We need to see it on the field. I wouldn't put him in the Victor Cruz category yet, but he's very much, because we saw him have so many setbacks and slow to recover, You know everything that you liked about Perriman is long speed, his ability to change direction, his upside is a number one wide receiver. He needs to have a functioning knee to be able to do that. Um, And I haven't heard anything about degenerative conditions, but that PCL has to be fully rehabbed and healed for him to be as effective as we want him to be.
1: All right. Well, one other guy I wanted to ask you about uh, is... Actually, a college player, Nick Chubb, the running back from Georgia. I'm a big, uh, big Devy player in, in these leagues that where you can draft college players before, uh, sometimes well before they even get to the NFL. And up until this injury last year, Chubb was viewed as the number one overall Debbie player, or or at least in the running. And then he suffers uh, this this terrible knee injury, and there were even some rumors soon after that that. It could be a career-ending injury. I know you, you've taken a little bit of a look at him. Don't follow him, the college game, quite as close, but uh, what did what did you see with the Chubb injury?
0: Yeah, boy, if you, if you think you don't get a lot of information from the NFL game, boy, just try to take try to figure <laughs> out what's going on with these college players. Um, so the only thing I, f- I think we know two general things about Chubb. One is that his mom said he's got a PCL tear and two other ligament tears. Um, does that involve the lcl does that involve the acl it has to involve one of those ligaments so a pcl lcl injury is it's a like big issue
2: his mom. well <laughs> like you said you know I mean, the, the information's so bad
0: true true but I, I that that had a ring of truth there because a mom it, it just seemed Unless, well, you know, you're right. Could it be intentionally misleading, sure. <laughs> <short? laughs> but if that's the case, so there's reason to be concerned about there. If there's a PCL and an LCR injury, that particular corner of the knee is a problem. That's the same corner of the knee that we're talking about with Jalen Smith, where there's nerves, there's tendons, there's things that just plain don't heal well, um, it, including both of those ligaments. And if it's not the ACL, that means he's got an ACL-MCL, and you wonder whether or not there's any associated cartilage damage, because when you have those two areas go, a lot of times you'll have a injury on top of it. So there's that. We're not exactly sure what the injury is, but if it's true and accurate that he's got a three ligament injury, that's for all intents and purposes a dislocation. It's a majorly unstable knee. It's a knee that can heal, but there's going to be concerns one way or another with that whatever that third ligament is that's injured, assuming that we're doing PCL. MCL. Now, if it's PCL, LCL, ACL, I'm not going to like that much either. The other thing that I think we know is that we were told we've seen video of him sprinting on a treadmill in February four months after the injury, which is a pretty good indication that we're not dealing with a nerve injury, that there wasn't one of those posterior lateral corner things that's really going to be a longer-term deal for him. Um, I think that the expectation in Georgia right now is that he's not going to be ready for at full strength for the regular season, but there's a chance that he may be able to play Early this year, and if that's the case, you know I think you're looking at injury where he's, you know, he's going to be back in that nine to twelve month range. He's going to be able to prove that he's back in form, hopefully, and we'll have a pretty good indication before he ends up in the NFL whether or not he's got any of those associated things that we need to worry about and whether or not he's going to be able to recover from it. But two big questions there: exactly what the injury is, and whether or not he's going to recover to form. And hopefully, we have the answers to those before the end of 2016.
1: Yeah, so with with Chubb and and really with any of these college injuries, it's almost just a waiting game until they can prove it on the field because of the lack of information.
0: Yeah, I I think that's the case. And I think, you know, any more... With ESPN and, and Fox and, and you know Big Ten Network and everything, you, we can get a look at the injury, um, so you have a sense of what the injury mechanism was. Uh, you know the uh, I can't remember who it was. The, the there was a running back from Pitt last year where we had a pretty good sense that it was an MCL injury earlier in the year, and that's what it turned out to be. But um, you know, so you try to do the same things where you put together the pieces of the puzzle and, and try to figure out what's going on. But when you get an injury like this and you're not exactly sure what's going on, definitely a lot of guesswork involved
1: yeah I think that was James Connor, the uh, yeah, that's what I thought know, the it player was. who you know we, we later found out had no had yeah. cancer and has, yeah. uh, has beaten that recently, which is obviously mm-hmm. awesome news. Dr. Jane Bramble, we thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing all this great information. Most of it good news for for these players on our on our rosters, so that's, uh, that's great to hear. Uh, and just tell us where we can follow your work.
0: I think most of the most of my immediate analysis ends up on Twitter first. I'll try to write up as much as I can. I'm working on a uh, an update to the off-season feature. That list of players that I sent you are all the guys that I'm going to try to get updated uh, for an article on Football Guys. So footballguys.com is a lot where my written work goes. But most of the stuff, everything we talked about with Tyler Eifert and some of these recent injuries, we've been talking about on Twitter too. So you can follow me there for lots of immediate stuff.
1: All right, well, thanks again, and uh, we'll be back next week with more Dynasty Talk and, and hopefully less
2: injury time.